Good evening, everybody. I uh, have some great news I wanted to share with you all. It is my daughter Grace's first birthday today. Happy birthday, Grace. I'll tell her you all clapped her. It's of absolutely no relevance to this preach. I just literally couldn't help myself. Um, But um, yes, it's great to be here. It's great to be here sharing the word of God with you this evening. I've not been here teaching for a little while because I've had a little one. My life has been immersed in the world of very small children for this last year. I have a little boy, Charlie, who's three, and a little girl, Grace, who won today. And um, one of the things that I've been learning as I've been immersed this past year in the world of small children, and you'll know this if you spend any time at all with small children, it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not, children ask the best questions. Am I right? Of course I'm right. Children ask the best questions. Charlie turned to me the other day at the dinner table, and this is like kind of like slight pause, and I'm like, oh gosh, brace yourself, Hannah, a question is coming. And this quizzical look crosses his face, and he looks at me and he says, Mummy, what does love mean? I'm like, oh gosh, did he come with a manual? How do you begin to respond to that to a three year old? Another question he asked recently. We'd been talking about how my name wasn't just Mummy, it was also Hannah. And uh, he said to me, but Mummy, is Daddy's name Honey? (laughs) Because, I mean, I'm glad that was the name that he thought. Anyway, um, so I took a poll of um, the motherhood of which I am a part, and uh, I received the following best questions your children have ever asked, which I just thought I would share with you this evening. Mummy... How big are God's hands? To which the mother in question gave a long reply about how God was not just a giant person, but was in fact everywhere. And really went big on the theology of who God was, the child nodding along happily. And then after a little pause, looks back at mummy and says, okay, mummy, but how big are his feet? (laughs) Which is just cute. And uh, yes, My uh, other friend confessed that one night she was praying out loud at an evening service in her most spiritual voice when her niece shouted out in a particularly quiet ministry-filled moment, why are you speaking in a funny voice? (laughs) Very embarrassing. (laughs) Kids, um, they ask the best questions because they want real answers. They want real answers and they're not afraid to bring everything of themselves to the table when they ask their questions. They ask them honestly. They don't care what you think. They just want to know. They just want to know. And when they get something, they really get it. My little boy at the minute, he's taken to saying, wow, when he really understands something. He's just so full of wonder at learning. Wow. And I've been thinking a little bit about this childlike faith as uh, we've been traveling through the Nicene Creed series together these last few weeks and as Carl's been unpacking that for us and I think I want to be more like a kid with my learning anyone with me I want to be more like a kid I want to ask like super brilliant honest real questions but I also when I get something I really want to get it I want to step out and put the weight of my life on the answer that I have received. And so, for what it's worth, here are two 
observations that I've made as I've sat and listened with the rest of us these past few weeks, two things that I think God might be saying to us as we look at another part of the creed this evening. The first one, ask your questions. I think God's been challenging some of us. Actually, it's time to lay out your doubts. It's time to be real about the things that you don't understand as well as the things that you do. The Christian faith stands up to um, questions. It, it's okay to make a rigorous examination of the Christian faith, whether you are only just asking those questions, only just discovering Jesus, or whether you've been a Christian 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Don't be afraid to ask your questions. I think God would have us um, step up and own it. Bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring them into the light. Ask your questions like a child. And then the second thing, I felt that God would have us live in confident wonder of him. Confident wonder of him, marveling at him. So that what we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths and we action with our lives. We live in confident wonder of him. And so this morning as we continue, this evening as we continue in our series on the Nicene Creed, I, I want to encourage you, would you like to put on the faith of a child with me? Ask our questions and choose to wonder. Is anyone up for that? Yeah? Let me pray for us as we like, look at this together. God, we, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you love to speak. And we ask that you would grow that childlike faith in us, that willingness to ask our questions, whether they feel ridiculous or extremely intelligent. <laughs> Wherever we fall on that, that spectrum, uh, we want to bring our honesty to you. And we want to choose to wonder this evening. So would you come and would you teach us? We welcome you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here is the part of the creed that we're reading together this evening. I'd love it if we'd all read it out together. Okay, you're with me. It's going to come up on the screen. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Great. So, first question. I'm going to ask you a few questions this evening. What do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit some kind of like weird, mystical, ethereal force that you're like, ooh, it's the Holy Spirit? Is maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe subconsciously, something like a spiritual Santa for you? Comes to give you good things. A spiritual Santa who you kind of wheel out when we talk about spiritual gifts. That's the Holy Spirit who does that. I wonder, what do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Maybe he's kind of our divine equivalent to Jeremy Kyle. Maybe, are you crying in church? Don't worry, that's because the Holy Spirit is here. How reassuring is that? Not at all. <laughs> what do you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit? Well, when we look at the very early history of the, the very, very beginnings of the early church, so right in the New Testament where we have this, this history of the church forming, um, 
we see that the people in the very early church were pretty clear about the reality of the Holy Spirit. They knew him, they relied on him, they saw that he compelled their worship and their prayer. He led them into mission, he led them into sharing Jesus. And that I, I'm going to mortally offend any of you who are church historians here this evening, so apologies in advance, but to cut a very long and complicated history extremely short, this is what happened. Years passed, the church grew, Constantine, the emperor, institutionalized the church, and Carl's been talking about this for a few weeks, so do go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. And, and basically what seems to have happened is that this bad understanding, this heresy, this, this wrong thinking about the Holy Spirit grew up that said Holy Spirit in some way is kind of God number three, somehow subordinate, inferior, lesser than the real God, which is God the Father and God the Son, of course. So somehow below, somehow not totally God, but God in some sense. And what the Nicene Creed does is it puts Holy Spirit back on the God map. Equal in divinity, equal in personhood. And there was this guy called Gregory of Nazianzus who, who said that, in fact, the Holy Spirit is a full person of the Trinity, fully divine, fully God. And he also said this, I am seized with dread when I think of the abundance of titles for the Spirit, which I have to say filled me with sheer great confidence when I thought of preaching to you all this evening. I personally am seized with dread when I think of preaching on the Holy Spirit because there is so much that we could talk about this evening. I didn't think that you would appreciate me spending six hours unpacking this doctrine for you. So I have literally picked the very beginning of the Nicene Creed to unpack a little bit with you this evening. Is that okay? You're all nodding like, thank goodness, not going to be six hours long. So... We're just going to look at that very first line. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. The Lord. The very first thing that the creed says about the Holy Spirit is that he is the Lord. He was always very much God. He is very much God and he always will be very much God And the creed um, writers, those guys who met together and formed this kind of statement of faith, they had a massively rich heritage to pull on in making that statement. In fact, if we go, and we're going to turn right now to the Bible, if you have one, you want to open it, we're going to go to the very first page of our Bible this evening to see that this is in fact true. And if you don't have one, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. The very first pages of our Bibles, and we'll discover that the Holy Spirit was in fact there. Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Wow. Before the creation of the world, the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis, says that the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was present. And I am holding my hands up right now. I am no Hebrew scholar. 
But as my good friend Naomi said the other week, I can Google with the best of them. So I have dug into this a little bit. Let's dive into some of the detail together. The spirit of God, the word that's used there is this word ruach. Can you say that with me? Ruach. Come on, try again. Ruach. It's quite, I feel it sounds like quite a Scottish word. Ruach. Um, and, and it's the name for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's translated pneuma in the, New Te- in the Greek, in the New Testament. And it implies wind, breath, air. And, and it's the word that's used for the Holy Spirit. And what was this ruach doing, I hear you ask? Well, let me tell you. It was hovering. Pretty unusual word to use. No, it wasn't an emergency helicopter. It wasn't even Thunderbirds 2. It was the Holy Spirit hovering, hovering. And that's a pretty, um, when I was looking into this, actually that word hover, uh, rehap, is a pretty rare word in the Old Testament. But the sense um, that it implies and from other ancient texts of that time, kind of paint this picture of an eagle protectively hovering over its young, spreading out its wings, hovering over, brooding, protecting. And so this picture that the Genesis passage is kind of um, imagining for us is of God himself, the Holy Spirit, brooding on the waters like a bird, a really big bird, hovering. The presence and mystery of God in Holy Spirit form, eternally divine, eternally present, eternally brooding over creation, forever Lord. So if you grew up anything like me, your understanding of the Trinity, if we backtrack a little bit, might go a little bit like this. Well, God the Father... He's the father, he's the dad, the big one, we get that. He's, you know, important. God the son, Jesus, uh, get Jesus, he's like the Nazarene, crucified, died, was buried, all of that, shebang, great. The Holy Spirit, we'll just go back to these two. The Holy Spirit, maybe he's, he's like the kind of like thing that we wheel out for mission and ministry time. Or maybe even if you grew up in a church like me and you have some Christian heritage, he's kind of the guy that we leave for the happy clappy charismatics over there in their corner and they can do what they want with him. Yeah? No. (laughs) This Genesis passage just, it shocked me. It revealed to me the depth of my misunderstanding. The Holy Spirit present at the very beginning of creation. At the very beginning, guys, he was there. He hovers over the waters. He's not to be identified with creation. He remains over other sovereign, majestic God, Lord. And scripture continues to show us that the kind of Lord the Holy Spirit is, is a really personal one. A personal one. Kind of when you picture a wind or a power, it kind of implies impersonality or great power, but not great kindness. But that is not the case. That is not the case with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a personal Lord. This Ruach, present at the very beginning of time, is a personal breath, a personal God. When we look 
through the kind of like history of the scripture, um, we see this. So the, the guy who, who writes quite a lot of the New Testament, a guy called Paul, he makes the Holy Spirit subject to a huge number of personal verbs that demand um, these things to be accomplished to the work of a person, of a divine person. They're the actions of a person. And I've put a list over two slides that are just going to come up quickly. I don't have time to go through them all, but there's a huge number of them. The Holy Spirit searches all things, accomplishes all things, dwells within us, leads us in the ways of God, helps us in our weakness, strengthens us. There is no doubt in scripture that the Holy Spirit is a person. And there is no doubt in scripture that the Holy Spirit is Lord That's what the creed affirms. He's not something less. He's not something subordinate or inferior. He is Lord. He is to be worshipped and glorified as God. Boom. (laughs) Question. Is the Holy Spirit your personal Lord? Which might sound like a bit of a weird question. Because we're maybe used to people asking us that about Jesus. I can remember the very first time a very well-meaning, well-intentioned, kind of slightly intense-eyed Christian asked me that question. Is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? And, uh, but we don't really ask that about the Holy Spirit, but we should. Is the Holy Spirit your Lord? Do you know him? And I guess I want to encourage you... Um, by giving you the answer, really, if you know anything of Jesus, if you know anything of the Father, then he is. Because scripture shows us that without the work of the Holy Spirit as a personal Lord, we would know nothing of who Jesus is. We would know nothing of who the Father is and his will and his intention for us. We know nothing. It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes these things accessible to us, real to us, who reveals to us God. And a little while ago, I was quite challenged personally by how I was really relating to the Holy Spirit. Like I said, my understanding was fairly sketchy. I I got the Father, got the Son, but right over here with the Holy Spirit, I was just like, I don't, I just don't really get this. I don't really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I should because he's a full member of the Trinity. He is fully God. And so I started trying to think about how I was using language about the Holy Spirit. And I really challenged myself to take the the out of the Holy Spirit. Because I knew that I needed to relate more to the Holy Spirit as a person. So I've actually tried quite hard and it's been quite hard work for me talking to you about the Holy Spirit. Because what I've done is just started talking about Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit is an actual person. And he would just be delighted if we started relating to him in that way. Taking the the out of Holy Spirit. And as I've done that, as I've changed my language, and it's actually like God's been able to change my understanding. Actually something that was true here has become more true here. Does that make sense? And so... 
my understanding of Holy Spirit as a kind, wonderful, comforting, strong, nurturing, reassuring, emotionally moved person of God has grown. So I just want to put it out there. You might find it helpful. You might not. You might just think that I am really weird. And could I finish soon, please? Um, But you might, if you find it helpful, then great. So let's just back up a little bit. We've said, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. And then the second thing the creed affirms about Holy Spirit is that he is the giver of life. The giver of life. This ruach, this breath of God that broods over creation is the very breath of God which sustains, which initiates all life as we know it. This personal God who broods over creation sustains not just the created world, but you and I. This evening, you have the very breath of God present in you. Wow. And we see that if you turn just to the very next chapter of Genesis, Genesis 2, verse 7. Let me just read it to you. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Just wow. Until I understood that the name for Holy Spirit was Ruach, was breath, this I mean, this just takes on so much more meaning, right? When you understand that. The very nature, essence of God himself, he breathes into mankind. And that is what initiates humanity. God's own breath is breathed into lifeless form and man comes to life. So you... You are, you are created with the very breath of God. You're sitting here with the very essence of the divine. <laughs> wow. Second, third, maybe fourth question, if you're counting. <laughs> what does it actually mean? I guess I've been asking that a bit as I've kind of done some of that potted history of Holy Spirit this week and as I've prepared. It's all very well and good understanding. Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is Lord. Holy Spirit is God. But what does it actually mean? What relevance does this have? So what has been my big question. And I've got two points that I want to bring as some encouragement um, to you this evening. What does it mean What does it mean for me, Hannah, as I'm a wife, a mom, a disciple of Jesus, as I have friends, colleagues, as I live in community, as I'm trying to follow Jesus? So what? The Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. What does that look like? And I think it means that we can have confidence in two things. God is doing something with the world. And God is doing something with us who believe God is doing something with the world and God is doing something with us who believe. So let's start with the first one. God is doing something with the world. I don't know about you, but I um, can look around at the, the world. And if you were awake in the early hours of this morning, which I'm guessing maybe most of you weren't, 
Oh, those days, they were glory days. Enjoy them whilst they last, students. Um, I was awake quite early and, and watching this kind of golden pink sunrise on the Pentland Hills. I can look at the world and I marvel. I see the fingertips of a creative God and I just think, wow, wow. He is the giver of life. But my experience of this created world is also that it is fallen and it is broken. There, there is war, there's famine, there's, there's just awful things in the world. The world is not as it was intended to be. And I think what we've learned this evening, looking at scripture and at the creed, is that the Holy Spirit hasn't stopped being the Lord, the giver of life. Just because sin has entered the world and disrupted God's intention and warped our experience of his will doesn't mean that Holy Spirit is not still out there breathing life into the world, breathing life into you and I. He didn't kind of get off the throne and be like, guys, sorry, this didn't really work out, did it? I'm just going to go for a tea break. No, Holy Spirit, he's intimately involved in creation. He hasn't given up on the world. He's making all things new. And in fact, the rest of the creed, the the rest of this stuff, the bit about Jesus, he was crucified, he suffered death, he was buried on the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, all of the rest of this. And in fact, if you want more evidence, the whole of the New Testament show us that what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave restores not only us as humans to God's original intention that he had good things for us, but the whole of creation. Go and read like Romans 8. Creation groans with us in despair, longing for the redemption, longing for the restoration that God has promised. And it's actually Holy Spirit's ongoing job to be breathing life again to the world. The very life of of God into the world again. So we can look at the world and we can despair, but we are not alone. Holy Spirit despairs with us and then steps into the breach, steps into the gap between the old broken creation and the incoming glory of God's restoration of all things. That's, that's the job of Holy Spirit. That's what he does. That's what he's best at. He's a genius. He's a genius. Holy Spirit is a genius. He's breathing life. And so all the things that um, we know should have no place in the restored creation because they had no place in the old. Holy Spirit is actively working against them. So famine, war, pain, injustice, suffering, cruelty, debt, disability. As we engage in these things, we are allowing ourselves to be blown where the Spirit wills. That's what he's doing. He's already there. He's doing it. And that, that includes things like ecology and the environment, recycling. I don't know, sometimes I think as Christians we've been guilty of making these things kind of like not very important. They're kind of not very spiritual, but like what we've learned of the Lord, the giver of life, tells us that these things are really important to Holy Spirit. He's intimately interested in the preservation and and the protection and the the beautifying of creation he made it 
He cares for it. Scripture tells us that groaning will give way to glory when Holy Spirit finishes the job he has eternally carried. And so I think that means maybe a couple of things. Um, We need to take a good, long, hard look at where maybe some of us, maybe on what you might call the more charismatic spectrum, have made Holy Spirit to be just this power who comes to anoint experience equip us where we've made him to be only that because what scripture tells us is that the lord the giver of life actually wants to be outside of this building you following me with the destitute with the broken with 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 the the fallenness of creation to be renewing all things so he's out there with the broken people that Claudia and Thomas are going to love and serve in Stenhouse. He's out there with the youth in Craig Miller. He's, he's with the addicted in prison. He's with the homeless in Calais. He's with the women in Leith that our missional community serves. He's out there. He's loving the lost and the broken. But, and, I, and I, it is a big but... On the one hand here, we need to take a good, long, hard look at where we've made Holy Spirit to be about only the experience. But we also need to take a good, long, hard look at where we've maybe made him to be only about out there. Because my my second kind of so what is that God is doing something with us who believe. Because maybe we've limited how Holy Spirit would blow through us as a church and breathe on us as his kids, as his children. Scripture tells us that Holy Spirit does something remarkably special and unique with those of us who believe in Jesus. He actually comes to live in us again. Scripture says that God breathes on us when we confess the name of Christ, that he breathes on us. And whether you call this a baptism in the Holy Spirit or a second, I, quite frankly, I just don't care very much this evening. The, the truth is that Holy Spirit breathes on us his life. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that brooded like a bird over the lifeless body of Jesus in the tomb. That is the same spirit that comes to you and to I and breathes his life into us. So where we have, where we have run dry, where we have reached the end of ourselves and even beyond and, and felt like we have nothing in our anxieties, in our sicknesses, in our sufferings, in our very real awareness of our weaknesses, Holy Spirit comes to us. As the children of God, adopted as God's children and breathes on us his breath, his life-giving breath. The same breath that raised the body of Jesus from the grave. He breathes on us and he says, life, have life, more life. I'm restoring you, I'm committed to you. Death will not triumph over you, addiction will not triumph over you. This is not the end, have life, have more life. And not just you, but the whole of creation. I'm breathing into you so that I might breathe through you and out of you. He is the Lord, the giver 
of life. And I think one of the things that that means is that the physical matters. A friend of mine um, said to me the other day, you know, Hannah, we just so easily resent having a physical body. And it it kind of stuck with me a little bit. It irritated my head. But I, I think it's so true. So many of us, we do. We resent having a physical body. Stay with me here. I, I, I sometimes resent having a physical body. It doesn't look how I want it to look anymore, having had two children. Maybe for you, your body doesn't do the things that you want it to do anymore because you've, you've had sickness or illness or things have happened to you, just the experiences that life has dealt you. Maybe you have a certain amount of shame attached to your physical body because of things that have happened to you. But it's into our very physical bodies, it's into the material worlds that Holy Spirit breathes his life. Into your very broken, wonderful human lungs, God breathes his breath, breathes his life. I want to tell you a story as as we finish that I hope illustrates where I'm going with this. I... Um, back in the, if you can kind of cast your mind back to the dark, cold depths of February I, uh, this year, I had a, a three-month-old baby and, and a two-year-old. And let's just say I was really not having a great day. It was pretty awful. Both children were crying. I was just like, oh, I need to get out of the house. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. I still had four hours until my husband was going to get home from work. And I was kind of climbing the walls. It was awful. And it was raining. But I was like, I don't care. Both of you are going in the buggy right now. I'm putting the rain cover on and we're going to walk to Tesco because Tesco is only a 10 minute walk from my house. Because at Tesco, it is clean. And it's organized, neither of which my house is right now. So I put them both in the buggy. I'm in a total grump, like a real grump. I haven't like had a shower in like four days. I don't know why I've just admitted that to you. You're all going to think I'm utterly gross. Um, but it's the reality of parenting sometimes, that's what happens. Uh, so uh, they're in the buggy. I'm pushing along the road. I'm, I'm in such a grump. And uh, At the end of my street, I just see this older lady silhouetted in the window. She's pulling back the curtains at two o'clock in the afternoon. And quiet as anything, I hear this still, small voice of Holy Spirit saying to me, Hannah, go and buy that lady some flowers. And I was like, no, go and buy me some flowers. I'm having a rubbish day. Hadn't you noticed? God. Uh, but you know, God has this way of working on us and, uh, found myself at Tesco, bought some daffodils. The children are now asleep in the buggy. Perfect. And, uh, find myself back at my neighbor's door. Never met her before. Never seen her. And, uh, I knock on the door and I say, and then at this point I'm having this internal monologue in my head. Maybe some of you have been there like, why is it that Christians always end up doing these things? We are so weird. What is wrong with us? But I, do it anyway. I knock on the door. I'm like, hi, my name's Hannah. I just live down the street and I just wanted to buy you some flowers and say, I hope you have a really lovely afternoon. And she says to me, that is so kind of you. It's actually my 84th birthday today. And you are the first person that I have spoken to all day. And I, I was blown away by the kindness and the personal knowledge of God and that's Holy Spirit that's Holy Spirit that's what he does 
And that's the kind of person that he is. He is so kind. He is so full of love. He knows us and he searches the mind of God and, and he set up this wonderful collision of her loneliness, her precious 84th birthday because he knows her and he loves her and my quite frankly awful grump and and the two collided in just this most wonderful experience of the love of God the kindness of God the way that he knows us the way that he can breathe life through our very broken lungs and do something very beautiful So I wonder, as the spirit breathes life into us and through us, that we might find that we are more than what we have become. That's certainly been my experience. As I've allowed and asked, Holy Spirit, come and be with me today. I am so aware of my weakness. So aware of my weakness. I am more than what I have become. He does something really quite incredible in our weakness. Holy Spirit, he's a genius. (laughs) He is. I was thinking, you know, as we move into the kind of autumn, winter season, you know when you um, step out of your house in the morning and your breath is, you can actually see your breath in the air. Just even as you do that this winter to think, that is the very breath of God, the very essence of God alive in me. What might he do today? I wonder, I choose to wonder what he might do today in me and through me. I think he would do amazing things. I think he's got adventures and discoveries for each one of us to make as we speculate that he is the Lord, the giver of life. You up for that? Yeah, great. I would love to pray for us. Um, If you're able, why don't you stand and the band are going to come up too. Um, And I would love just to pray for us. Maybe even just as I was speaking, if you know this evening that you are very aware of your weakness, um, I would especially love to pray for you first. So maybe if that's you, if you, if you have, as I've been speaking, you've been very aware, the brokenness of the lungs that receive his breath, aware of your weakness. If you might just, you might want to just stretch out your hands as a sign to God, I'm here, (laughs) I want to receive from you. Um, I'd love just to pray for you first. God, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters and I pray Holy Spirit, that you would breathe your life on them, in them, into them this evening. That they would receive strength and comfort from you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are with them in their weakness. They're not alone. They are not alone. 
And so in the name of Jesus, I want to speak a strengthening to you. I want to speak life over you, life into you. Grateful that Holy Spirit goes ahead of that prayer and is already there doing his job, just like he always has. And then the second thing, um, as I was speaking, and I, I felt this this morning as well, that for some of us, as I was sharing, you know that actually God's been speaking to you about some of the broken places in the world where you know things are not as God would intend them to be. And God's given you um, a heart for particular people or a situation to see it changed. And just a picture of how God himself broods over that situation like a bird he spreads his wings out over it and he would have you know that he's already there and his love and his his um his being there is even bigger than your heart for it he's already there So if that, if that makes um, sense to you, I'd love just to pray for you too. God, I thank you that you do, <laughs> when we speculate with you, you do send us and you do give us your heart. But we just want to take a moment to trust that you are God and we are not. You are God. And Holy Spirit, you go before us and you yourself brood spread yourself and your wings over those broken places and people. And we ask for your strengthening for the road ahead.